I'm Sally Tierney, the owner of Clear Path Forward, an advocacy investigation firm in Virginia. And I love listening to the PI Perspective podcast because Matt interviews so many investigators that bring their unique expertise to the show. I've learned so much from them and look forward to every single episode. Thank you, Matt. The Campbell Group has teamed up with PI Perspectives to offer listeners top-notch, affordable insurance solutions. Private investigators can get insurance for their business for as low as $305 per year. Apply now at PIPerspectivesInsurance.com and receive a quote back within 24 hours. Do you enjoy our podcast and the guests we bring you? Since 2019, Matt and his team have done their very best to give you amazing shows each week. If you feel like our show has helped you to be a better investigator, or maybe even inspired you to become an investigator, please let us know. We're looking for testimonials. Drop Matt an email with a recorded 20 to 30 seconds of you talking about this podcast. You can also email him something verbal about the website. His email is S at SatellitePI.com. And if you really feel blessed for having this content, consider supporting Matt and our show by joining Investigators Toolbox. You really have to see version 2.0. And at just 49 cents a day, it's a no-brainer. Now let's jump in to this week's episode. Look into my eyes. You are feeling very sleepy. We are back with a brand new show. Today, Florida PI, John Gaspar, joins us. John had an amazing career with NYPD and worked for many years in the Major K Squad. Along the way, he was trained in forensic hypnosis. Today, the guys discuss hypnosis and investigations. John is also the president of the Florida Association of Private Investigators, better known as FAPI. This is a great episode. Please welcome John Gaspar and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. We're back with a uh, semi-live show, but uh, new content and uh, fresh off the presses from Florida. Had a great conference visit down uh, at the FAPI conference. And who better to talk to than the uh, president of FAPI? So we've got John Gaspar here today. John, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here today. Yeah, Thank you for the opportunity. Great to have you. Um, long time coming, uh, fellow New York guy. Uh, we're we're going to talk about hypnosis and investigations, but before we get into all that, I want to just lay the foundation for your background because you had a, an amazing uh, law enforcement career and then a, a, a very amazing uh, investigative career that's taken a, a few turns. So why don't we roll back to your law enforcement experience? Tell me a little bit about your uh, NYPD job. Well, I never really wanted to go into police work. It just was a happenstance thing. I was involved in electrical engineering in school, mm-hmm. uh, but the the budgets back in the early seventies, uh, uh, everybody was shutting down things. So I, you know, I punted. I moved forward. A friend of mine had Steve was still best friends. We went to high school together, right? Uh, and and he said my dad was a cop. He said, "Why don't you uh, take the test?" So we took the test, and we got exactly the same grade. We got on together. We became partners in the 79 precinct. And then we moved differently. He moved into the private sector. We owned an alarm company together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he moved and stayed in that. And I stayed in police work. Yeah. And then as time went, time went on, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, no. Uh, definitely continue. Uh, so as time went on, uh, what what, what yeah, happened? The journey, the journey went on. I was assigned to the highest, uh, the highest violent crime rate precinct in the United States, and that was a seven nine precinct. And we had about three or four shootings a day. And it's it Brooklyn, was a great right? Trip. Brooklyn. Yes, yeah. it's uh, it's been it's all the way down uh, on on the back end of Brooklyn by all the highways with all the high rises. You know, the concept of putting, you know, 4,000 people in one building was really great for crime. Right. So, Is that the yeah, precinct that's uh, on Gold Street? Uh, no, it was on Tompkins and Troop, the oh, seven Tompkins. line. Okay. Yeah, Bedford-Stuyvesant. Bedford and, uh, gotcha. and, uh, and, and, and it was a great learning place. And all the skills that I had in South Brooklyn with problem resolution and conflict resolution uh, came in play. Uh, also, my ability to have some levels of physicality so I didn't have to rely on deadly physical force was good. Right. Uh, and and, uh, and after I moved from there, we got laid off. Imagine laying off 10,000 people in the city of New York wow. uh, for police. And then I went down to Broward County Sheriff's Office and I did two years there and became a detective. But realizing we didn't have the proper protection, anybody could be fired at any time. I reengaged my career back as a New York City police officer, became a detective. Okay, uh, first in organized crime control, mm. and then in Major K Squad. Major K Squad gave birth to the terrorist task force and the joint robbery task force. And Larry Gould, who was uh, my third vice president, uh, and I reunited when we got to FAPI right. because we both work next to each other in the task force. That's we used amazing. To wave to each other. I know. Yeah. In Florida, <laughs> like, and, you know, two, talk two about New Yorkers. Kismets. Yeah, I know. I know. That's yeah. cool. Uh, Larry's then, a good guy. I like Larry. Larry is a great yeah. guy. He's had so much knowledge, so easy to get along with. And mm. and he was back then too, the same person. Yeah. He's an accountant, you know, as everybody in the FBI is an accountant or an attorney. All right. Uh, but he's a good cop and a good partner. Mm. And uh and, and then from there, uh, you know, I I retired from the police department a little bit earlier. I got hurt uh on an injury, a bad injury. Mm. All right. And it hasn't affected me. <laughs> It, it, it lives with me every day. Uh, six right. herniated discs in my neck, Ouch. and uh, and and then we moved. Uh, I moved forward. Opened up the largest private detective agency in Staten Island. We did about fourteen million dollars a year in business. Uh, oh. uh, our clients included CSX, uh, railroad, and sure, public yeah, sure. library, public library, yeah. Toys R Us. So it was that's a great, great stock, great by the way. C CSX, great stock over now. It, now yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. So. Um, my wife wanted to move to Florida because her mom moved there. You know how Italians are. We have to go in caravans. Sure, yeah. So, uh, so I, I sold the business poorly. So when I got back to uh, to Florida, I uh, I had to retake the academy, a shortened version of it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I got hired by Daytona Beach and then wound up with Flagler County Sheriff's Office. And uh, the short story is I did patrol, SRO, uh, detective in charge of economic crime, and then an administrator, and I got the agency accredited uh, for the first time in their history, police accreditation. That was a big thing because you get a lot of money from the feds when you have that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I was in charge of professional standards. And then I went back as a detective uh, because I did what I needed to do and I didn't want to stay in administration sure. as a detective supervisor. And then I retired from there and opened up my present company, which is all Florida Investigations and Forensic Services. That's great. That's really uh, awesome. What a storied career, man. What were some of the challenges back in the 70s and 80s doing police work that, that you faced? 
Well, some of the challenges was lack of communication because I don't know if you realize that when I started, um, our radios were about that big, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and and they didn't work that well. Really? Okay, wow. so we had to rely on call boxes or people in the community that got to know us. And my big thing is, uh, in the beginning, you uh, in in NYPD, you do a lot of foot posts. Yeah, a lot of foot patrol. Yeah. Sure. yeah, so I, I I made friends. You know, I mean, every Sunday morning I would walk through, and they had all of these storefronts that were uh, you know were, were religious uh, centers where people you know you know you know believe in god and, and, yeah. and were good people and carrying the king james version and saying amen so i right. went in and i got to know them and uh i was a kid then i was 22 so i got adopted by all of these big bombs you know that said uh you know fed me and took care of me and right. and actually an anecdote a story to that is is that i was fight i'm you know, not brilliant. I, at that time, I was an Adonis. I, I had some physicality. I had a black belt in karate. I wrestled. So I, I didn't rely on a lot of toys because we didn't have a lot. We didn't have right. mace. We didn't have uh, a, a, an asp. We didn't have any. They took our nightsticks away from us. Right. So so uh, I'm losing a fight, which is really hard to do if you have a gun uh, from this guy who's really hyped up. And he's about six foot three and, you know. Sure, he was high he was, on something, right? He, he was crazy. He was high on a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm I'm just about making it where I'm he's not taking my gun and I'm and I'm and I'm fighting and we're fighting and you know people don't realize you know it's not like the movies you know you two three minutes into a fight even if you're in great shape you're, you're kind of completed yeah so <clears throat> she's calling okay the police and the nine one one tape I still have it I have to find it some guy is is trying to kill my police officer get down here right now and she's throwing hot water on him and she's hitting him oh, with wow. a broom that's great with a broom and trying to poke his eye out you know and finally, finally Lona's not came. happy about it finally, and she gave me a big hug and, yeah. and she brought me down some water and i went upstairs and she said i'll clean you up and the medic said they had to and you know, so I, I bought it next time I was opposed, I bought it some flowers and, oh, that's and great. Uh, yeah, but it was good. <laughs> Made a good connection with the community. It was a good place to be. Never piss off Nona. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Eighty percent of the people there were great people. Twenty percent were were predators. That that's yeah. kind of how it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a child of the '80s, right? So this is a little bit before my time, but I have. You know, very vivid memories of being in New York City in the 80s, more so the Bronx. My, my family was from there and seeing what it was like, um, you know, that in, in that time period uh, and seeing how it changed over the years too. the 90s brought a different set of problems. You know, um, you, you saw crack cocaine and stuff in the late 80s start to pick up and just change everything. And then, you know, I remember being in John Jay College and them talking about, you know, you know, broken windows and and these new policies that that were coming out and how they were trying to change policing to community policing, which it sounds like that's a little bit of what what you had going on there. Um, just knowing you know, the people that you're serving, um, and then seeing all that uh, change is very uh, very very interesting um, to to see the growth and all that and and how you parlayed that in your own personal professional career leaving and then coming back uh that must have been a challenge too things must have changed a little bit over that that time period right oh they changed a lot uh when, yeah. when i well i wasn't in, the last time i was in uniform was 1978 and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden i come into flagwood county sheriff's office and and daytona beach uh police department about uh you know eight eight hold on a second 25 years later all right and uh and when i get in it uh you know i 
there were so many changes uh, in in procedures and people. Although I love Daytona Beach because it reminded me of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was diverse. Uh, uh, we had a lot of great people, and there were also a lot of people that were crazy. So right. it was entertaining at the very least. Right. And uh, yes. and, and the yeah, the police officers were really good there, most of yeah. them. Uh, and uh, in Flagler County, I got the beach. I, I had rural areas. I got to see. I, I got to do something that I think no New York City cop has ever done. They mm-hmm. put me out in, in Davie, Florida, but not Davie, Florida, the Broward County. They put me down in the Rondex in Flagler mm-hmm. County, which is all rural. And uh, I, I asked questions. So I met some people and I said, hey, what happens if the cattle get out? What do we right. do if it blocks the roadway? <laughs> right. What happens if there's what if there happens if there's a horse running around town? Well, if there's a horse, you never if you lasso them around the neck and you hold them, they're gonna kill themselves and they're gonna kick like crazy and shouldn't do that. You gotta walk with them with it. I said, yeah. All right, good. Right. And what about the cows? He said, It's one smart cow, the lead cow leads them to wherever they go. They're always in the front. So just make a little bit of noise and they'll find their way home. Yeah. Sure, sure enough, it's three o'clock in the morning on the double S's in Flagler County. And uh, there's about 400 cattle. All I That's saw amazing. All <laughs> I saw were butts and tails, you know? And, yeah. I, and, I, and I said, hold on a second. I hit the siren. And then I go on the thing. Go, get get it, get it. And they start going. <laughs> so- about a mile later, they go into down this long entrance, because that's what they had for cattle, long entrance, and then a the gate. So I climbed over the other side of it, walked over, opened the gate. They all went in. And I put a card on the thing, returned your cattle, you know, business card. Yeah. And I got I got a white uh, cowboy hat from the Cattlemen's Association and nice. appreciation for returning their cattle. Look at you with uh, your own stats and where is it these days? <laughs> it's home. It's home. <laughs> Fantastic. But it was, it was so good. It was, I, I, I love learning new things. Sure. Sure. Very cool. Very cool. Um, we're going to jump out and take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to uh, dig into the um, the topic here. We're, we're, we're going to talk about hypnosis and your experience in dealing with hypnosis um, in investigations. You were involved in a very high-profile case as well up in New York um, that I want to talk about as well. So everybody sit tight, and we'll be right back. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending 
on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. So we are talking about Crosstracks. Crosstracks is a sponsor for uh, Investigators Toolbox and PI Perspectives. We've got Steve Mason here. Steve's been a, uh, a longtime client of Crosstracks. Tell me the benefits of uh, case management. For me, it's basically being able to keep track of every single thing that's going on with the case, whether it's notes, documents, sending or receiving new case information, you know, because clients can create custom logins, securing the data. From a business perspective, it's just, it's really the easiest way to maintain your data, to access your data anywhere. I mean, you can be on vacation and pull up a case note remotely, securely, even just tracking how many cases you've worked for a certain client, how much money you build them. I mean, it's, there's so many tools that I just, I really don't know how you can get by without a, a case management system like Crosstracks. Yeah, definitely. And they are SOC 2 certified, which is important when you're working with insurance companies and, and protecting information that's uh, readily available there. If you're looking to take your investigative company to the next level, you got to be organized. And the only way you're going to be organized is using a case management system. And for me, hands down, Crosstracks is the one to go with. So again, they are a sponsor of uh, PI Perspectives and part of Investigators Toolbox. You receive discounts for using their services through, uh, through both those platforms. So check it out today and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, we are joined today uh, by a former New Yorker, John Gaspar. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah. What a career you've had, man. Just... Uh, Apparently, you're a, a cowboy as well, <laughs> rustling cattle, which is cool. Um, oh, no. What a, you never, what you a, never know, what, right? What a significant New York City accent. <laughs> exactly. <amazing>. Hey, <laughs> move two, over here. <laughs> two, two, two graduate degrees, and I can't get the vernacular to flow in any other way. So. Fantastic. Um, so we wanted to talk about hyp hypnosis. I mean, it, it's uh, it's out there. You know, when you we talk about... Uh, relating that towards investigative work, you know, um, I'm sure there are mixed feelings about it. I've read articles about, you know, suggestion and and the issues of using hypnosis. Um, 
Well, you have a great deal of experience um, doing that. Uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about how you got into doing the hypnosis work, and then we'll we'll kind of end up on you know how it's relatable to uh, private investigation work. Sure. Actually, kind of by accident, I got into the state of uh, of relaxation uh, by being in the martial arts for so long and the meditation that we did and our instructor used to come around he was directly from japan and he used to kick us in the stomach full force and this man could break wood with it mm-hmm. and uh, we were we were able to control ourselves by controlling our breathing and everything right. and i also used it in my personal life for relaxation uh with injuries and stuff mm-hmm. and uh i started stopping people from smoking in the police department because i hate smoking right, right? Okay. i and uh, and the word got around and they had a hypnosis unit which I did not know them. I was in organized crime, running around with, unfortunately, prostitution, obscenity, and vice. Not a great job, guys. Yeah, yeah. You take and, a lot home with you. Yeah, yeah and, and we did some narcotic work. Uh, and then uh, I got a call from the chief of detective, from him. And he said, uh, heard a lot of good things about you. I said, thanks, chief. I thought he was going to say, you know, we want to put you in major case squad, which eventually happened. Right. And uh, and he said, I'd like you to come up and see me. And I came up and see me and saw the uh, uh, the director of, uh, of the hypnosis unit, and they said, we'd like to train you to do forensic hypnosis because we know you're a good hypnotist. And I said, fine. And they sent me to a lot of great places. Dr. Martin Reiser in LA, he started the behavioral science unit. Um, and and uh, just, you know, we had, uh, I had a psychiatrist, okay, out of Columbia University that, uh, that helped me out with it. Sure. Right? And and then uh, Harry Aaron's an old stage hypnotist, okay, uh, was the one I learned the most from uh, about techniques in relaxation and to support the recovery of memory. Sure. And and uh, it, it just it just led to uh, a pretty great career there for about three years until the court case came down from Onondaga County, which said that you can't use hypnosis for any witness accounts because there were a lot of hypnotists that were not following the protocols. Okay. And I should, should take a breath to tell you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's definitely. It's interesting. Go ahead. So when you do hypnosis, what you do is you get limited information from the case detective because you mm-hmm. don't want to accidentally embed that information into somebody right. who's more subjective. Right, right. Right. So when you get that, you need the date, time, place of occurrence, and maybe something that might key memory. And, uh, if you say something, I'll give you an example. Actually, all interviews and interviewing and interrogation that I've been teaching for years in a college level, it should be pure. So you don't say things like, was the guy five foot 10 or was he five foot 11? Right. That's suggestive, even in the real world where it's not hypnosis. Right. But how tall say, was the guy? That's, that's basically yeah, the question. Yeah. yeah right. So, yeah. yeah or how, what, what was the person's sex? And, how, yeah. you know, how tall were they? And, you know, about what, what they weigh and, you know, and so on and so forth. So you get it from them. You don't impose it in them because some people are normally susceptible. Anyhow, they're too agreeable. None, none of the people that I know in my relatives are too agreeable, but, but, <laughs> but some people I've heard. I've heard, I've heard that. their stories. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, Cattle are and, very suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good segue. They were. <laughs> So uh, getting back to um, point with this, so when I was a hypnotist, I would um, get somebody in a proper state of relaxation. And the whole thing is to make sure that they had control because a lot of people are afraid of it. Right. And uh, we would use things like uh, uh, relaxation techniques and counting and guided imagery. 
And, and I, you know, I'll give you a brief, like I said, somebody, okay, close your eyes. You feel good. You feel secure. All right. You and I are sitting in the room. You hear my voice. I'd like you to do something for me. I'd like you to put yourself in a classroom. I'd like you to look up at the blackboard. I'd like you to take a piece of chalk. And then I go slowly until they were just listening to the sound of my voice and not exactly what it was. And, and through counting techniques and other things, and sometimes environmental music, we get them into a good state. So do you think that like the cadence of your voice, like how you're talking has, has at least helpful in, in, in doing that? You're speaking a certain way or a certain tone, certain level. Um, yeah, your voice is yeah, your voice is an instrument that introduces right. them to it. Just like sometimes music. Now I tell everybody in the beginning, there's nothing powerful about me. If a white line in a highway can make you get off at the wrong exit because you you have highway hypnosis, then guess what? It's not that. It's that when you get to the spot where the person's relaxed, you have to be able to retrieve the information. That's where the art form is. So how how good of a hypnotist do you think Barry White was? <laughs> you think he could have been the man? He, he could have, could. <laughs> hypnotizing well, people by records right <laughs> well I did, you know i mean i'm sure he had plenty of pleasurable experiences because people fell in love with his voice, very know? suggestive right <laughs> that's awesome it's really fascinating though but i think there's something to it right you create that and i get that all the time especially you know people listening to the program they're like you know i enjoy um listening because it's just the way you talk the, your your voice you know the way it is it's, it's comforting relaxing whatever and i'm like it's this is me i mean <laughs> just talking that's the, the gift that no, but, but gave you're me, right you know? like, you do, i mean it's you, you do have a good tool there i mean you're, you're wow. you know people want to listen to you because uh because of the tone the sound and the quality of the information coming out yeah um, in fact i've noticed um just completely off subject but Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, if I if if it's the first time that I'm I'm interviewing them, I don't really know them that well. I have a different register, a different way that I talk to them. But when, whenever I'm interviewing a friend on the show, somebody that I've actually met in person or I'm good, like my tone is completely different. It's more relaxed and it's it's more sultry for lack of a better word. You know, just just kind of like and I have to catch myself too, like be more articulate and stop you know dragging your words out or or cutting the way I'm talking down to. Um, to a whisper, right? Because I, mm -hmm. I tend to do that with people I'm comfortable with uh, when I'm having conversations with them. It's just completely off topic and related, but no, 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 it's right? not. I, I take that as a compliment because I think yeah. you're you're presenting yourself there in that way. But the sultry yeah. part, take it easy with, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm smoking for it's not because so, so <laughs> And anything that you do in life, you have to develop a rapport. And, and I usually do this when I do my interrogation interview class on a college level when I did it. The first thing you want to do, let's say if you see a beautiful woman, okay, and she's really attracted to her, you don't want to say, uh, I really, I would really like to kiss you. You would say, oh my goodness, that's an unbelievable scoff you have. All right. Where do you come from? How's everything doing? Gee, it's so great meeting you today. How's your day been? You develop a rapport. And this is this is what you do in an interview room when you have somebody who's a suspect or a sure. person of interest. You sit sure. down and you develop a rapport. You look about them. You see what their ring has. You see yeah. what kind of earrings they have. You get a feeling of who they are. And then hypnosis is the same thing. Yeah. Only now they're going to be closing their eyes for a while. So you have to tell them everything that's going to happen in the beginning beforehand so that they don't have any fear. And they yeah. understand that they're in control. Yeah, and and then the technique we do is we take them after they give us the signs of uh, you can see rep, rapid eye movement on sure. somebody. Yeah, you can see a change of breathing. Okay, uh, and when you get those things, then you, uh, I used to use a 
you know, kind of a time thing. I say you're sitting down in a comfortable chair, you're overlooking the ocean, you have a remote control in your hands. I'd like you to put it on reverse. You're going back in time. It's now January, December, November, and so on and so forth until I get to a spot where they're relaxed. Yeah. And I ask very simple questions. I say, where are you? And they'll tell me, you know, because uh, I'll say, take me back to the day of whatever. And they'll tell me. And in this one case, it's worth mentioning, mm-hmm. uh, a guy goes into a bank, robs the bank. Okay. A guy is watching him rob the bank and he's really scared. The bank robber leaves. The man runs out. The guy gets into the car. He slips on a piece of New York black ice, goes up in the air, breaks his arm, right? Turns around and he looks at the tag number and the car. He can only remember that the car was a brown car. Three years later, they bring him to me because they brought everybody as a last resort to us. Right, right. <laughs> okay. No, and, and the detectives, every time they came in, would go like this so that they would be, you know, it was a joke, right? Exactly. So, Probably should cover their ears. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I brought I brought them back. See how smart they were. They were (laughs) definitely should have went like that. (laughs) So, any other short story is is that he fell, and I touched his arm, and it was ice cold. That means he age regressed not only to believing he was there, but physiologically he had a cold. Arm and it was so he had like shivers, like a uh, chicken skin, right? A little, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was bumps am- and, and amazing. And I look at him, and being a good tap dancer, I said, You have a big jacket on you now, you're warming up, you feel good. Could you turn around and look and give me? We said plate numbers in New York. Can you read the plate number? And he read it to me from left to right. Wow. I said, What kind of car was he? Said, it's a brown Toyota. Meanwhile, they had correspondence unit at the time, we didn't have the access to DMV. They type it in, it's a brown Toyota. While we were finishing this session, they picked the guy up. That's amazing. And locked, and locked him up for it. That's so and, amazing. And, and that was three years later. Yeah. And That's he couldn't crazy. recall it until he got there. So when, when I was down in Florida at, at the FAPI conference, we were chatting a little bit about a, a high-profile case uh, that you were involved in, uh, in right. involving the abduct, abduction and subsequent murder of uh, a young child. Uh, it was all over the news here, big thing. Etan um, uh, Pats was the case in New York. So tell me a little bit about your involvement with that. Well, that was one of the first high-profile missing persons case. It was in Greenwich Village, which was a, uh, and by NoHo in South to- so- Soho, that's north of Houston. In in south north of Houston, of yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there was a taxi cab driver that they believe picked up the suspect, okay, and Etan Pates at a particular corner. We didn't have any video cameras at the time. So the detectives did everything they could, did an amazing job of trying to find it, but it was a worldwide search and they came to us and we had the taxi cab drive. So remember, you can only see or hear in hypnosis what you visually saw and heard. Right. You can't, it, I mean, there's no magic involved in it, but the, at best, taxi cab driver didn't know anything. We put him into a state of relaxation and oh, by the way, uh, North and South Housing had a, a facelift during that period of time. They changed the buildings, new right. people came in. So it was entirely different. The streets were different. Some of the streets even ran the, the, the you know. Yeah, there's a lot directions. of construction, a lot, a lot of changing. Yep. So the short story is, is that uh, they bring him in and I tell you, put him in a nice relaxed state. And I tell him, I said, um, can you see who's in the back seat? 
he said, I can only see the man. And he's with a boy. Okay. And then he goes on, well, what did you, what did you see? And he said, he's the white man and so on and so forth. And the description came back to somebody that they thought it was one of their targets. Per person of interest, and, right? Yeah, person of interest. And we don't know if he was the actual person who did it, but he was the person who took the child. And they, they believe it was the babysitter of the boy. And the short story is, is that they were able to determine that the information they got from another country with him being dead, okay, was true then. So mm -hmm. what it gave is the family closure, okay, but it certainly didn't help him and, and with it. Right. You know, uh, and, uh, and and these types of cases sometimes are not solvable, but they give people some closure by knowing exactly what happened. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I, I'd be really curious. So you know, all up here in New York, big news here in the past month and a half uh, where they had this cold case that was solved. It was like 13 year old uh, serial killer murder up Lido Beach, Suffolk County, New York. I'd be really interested to see if they had any kind of hypnosis or any, you know, witnesses because there were eyewitnesses to certain things, obviously not dumping of bodies or things like that. But there were if you read uh, some of the uh, investigative work that was done, you can see how they were able to connect the dots. I'm curious if there was any type of forensic hypnosis that was used in that. I don't, I don't think there was. It, it's not as commonly used now as it should be. PI Magazine was nice enough to do a feature on it letting everybody know about uh, about that as being an investigative tool. And I'm going to go with IntelliNet next year to Ireland and, and, and kind of bring it into an international market. Sure. There are forensic hypnotists around. There aren't many. In the time that I did that, I was one of the top 10 forensic hypnotists mm -hmm. for volume in, in the United States. And it supported the more you do, the better you get at it. The more you do, the more comfortable you are. You know, and we've done hypnosis through translators with Croatian gypsies to get information. And uh, on the Misty Kremlings case, and, and I was called in by FDLE to do a, a forensic hypnosis interview with her. And all it established is that she was giving all of the samples of somebody who was holding back information or being deceitful. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's, you know, that was one of the things that came into that. And, and then also, uh, the she identified the different areas of the house in a manner where her her testimony or her her account of it was impossible because there were walls in the way and and uh, and, and it had but they kind of knew in the beginning that uh, Missy uh, uh, Cummings you know she was a voluntarily uh, witness and she tried to she tried to interrupt all the time thinking that hypnosis had a power over her too. So right. that was another thing. A level of cooperation wasn't there. Right. It's so, it's so fascinating, man. Like some, what are some of the other challenges? I mean, we talked a little bit about a, a couple of things that the suggestive, like um, I know there was a case down in Texas. I remember reading recently uh, with the Texas Rangers where uh, they had used hypnosis to solve a crime. And then it was, it was thrown out because it was found that the, the technique, the way they did it was a little too suggestive on on doing things what what are some of the other challenges um in in doing this type of work that you've come across well the whole thing is, is you should, should just like a regular interview although you can go off a script you should script things you should mm -hmm. know what you're going and where you're going right. and then you just have to have the power to be able to ask the question 
in the most objective way as compared to uh, as compared to just uh, leading into it. Right. Now, now, the good thing is, is that you can't betray yourself because their eyes are closed with your gestures. Because I've seen de- detectives do this, you know, you know, and that, and right. and and that keys makes the person uncomfortable, and it's going to change how they're going to say something. But uh, body language, when uh, when you're doing a regular interview, is very important, and, and, right. and micro movements are. Yeah. And with hypnosis, you have to keep it clean the whole time. So, do you have the ability to do this forensic hypnosis over Zoom, over te- new technology? Have you have you seen that done, or is this something you actually have to be in person to do? It it we can do it, but it's you know I look at. I gotta watch, but it's a PG show. Okay, <laughs> so I watch, you know, it's like watching a uh, a sexy movie. It's not the same yeah. thing as being in a room with a sexy person. Sure. So therefore, you give up the ability of tactile of touching somebody's arm to see, you know, how they're doing. Right. Of the coldness, feel, like you wouldn't feel yeah, that. Right. Sure. Right. It, or, or of them, uh, you know, of them being having the connection with you, the human connection. I think uh, Zoom has has made this world smaller. It's great. Yeah. We can do interviews, we do, but right. if I'm doing an interview on Zoom and, and it's not even a hypnosis interview, the person doesn't feel challenged at all. And mm-hmm. I can't see everything that's in the room that may tell me something about them, their plaques, their ring, all of the things that you would want to segue into develop a rapport. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a, I, I wouldn't say it's a preferable method, but it's possible. Yeah. I feel like it's like the usual suspects with Kaiser Soze, just looking at everything in the room and tying it into a story, right? <laughs> But so the um, so the so your audience knows that hypnosis is not just for criminal; it's for yeah. civil. Uh, I've had uh, somebody who was a Victoria's Secret model, okay, that lost a five hundred thousand dollar bracelet, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, or something in that range, but something that you know was amazing. And she had so many houses, she didn't know where she hid it. Wow! <laughs> so, so at the end wow. of it, she recalled where she hid it. Oh wow! Uh, and I use that technique myself because, you know, yeah. I'm getting a little bit older now. I'm 71 sure. years old for the okay. audience out there. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll forget my keys. So it's I, I use a distracted attention span a technique right. that's used. And, and when I think about something else, and all of a sudden it pops up. So I another question, out. when when you're hypnotizing these people and you're you're done with the tasks you're supposed to do, do you work on the no smoking thing too? You, are, yeah. are you like clearing the world out of smokers? <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I don't have the urge to smoke anymore. <laughs> no, but it, it was funny. I, you know, back when I was uh, first, I started there. You know, they waited a long time before you do detective work as a white shield detective for years, and then all of a sudden, they give you a gold shield. And then for a short period of time, I was doing that. And then I got this uh, um, chief that was like thirty-seven years on on the job. Okay, and he was a Chesterfield nose-filled smoker, and he came in and said. If you can stop me from smoking, I think you're going to get promoted, kid. Yeah. I, stopped, I stopped him from smoking. And about three months later, I got promoted. Hey, follow so, through. That's good. I, Did you I, put I that suggestion I, in there? I, I know, but that would have been a good promote idea. Gasper, promote <laughs> But I asked um, him if I could get back pay if it was over. He looked at yeah. me. I said, just kidding, just kidding. So what do you think are, are some of the tools now that, that are available Um that you didn't have back in, in, in when you started doing this stuff that makes things a little bit easier. You know, we talked about Zoom. That's obviously one of the differences. But what are some of the other things that you think make this a little more um, easier to accomplish that relaxation state to do what you need to do? 
know about the relaxation state. That's been going on since Mesmer and and and, and Freud back in. Matter of fact, Freud called uh, hypnosis hysteria because mm-hmm. when people were in a relaxed state, they would cry, and I had that happen a number of times too. Right. But I, I think would be is to is to see where the person is physiologically. You have biofeedback machines. You have skin galvanization. You have the same tools that they used to use for lie detecting. But you can see that you can you can actually hook people up to that during the session, and it may have quality of understanding where they were when they were giving their account. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and like you said, we have Zoom now, which is right. You know, what was something. one of the most surprising things that you uncovered while doing hypnosis? Something that just completely caught you in left field, like wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, we we did police shootings, and mm-hmm. as you well know, there were a lot of police officers that are killed right. in New York City a lot during my tenure. As a matter of fact, um, Chrissy Mazzone and uh, and his partner, okay, uh, were uh, executed. Wow. Okay, uh, and Norman Cirillo were executed uh, the day that I was on vacation. Wow! All right, and and they were in my sector. People, so, you know, yeah. Charlie sector, yeah, work with. So um, this police officer comes in and his partner was shot and killed and he uh, saw the person, but he couldn't remember them. Mm-hmm. So during the session of that, he was a good subject. We went back in time and he just started with the tears coming out like this. And I can see it's just, I told him, relax, you're in a safe place and whatever, but the tears were still coming down. And then he murmured, I was afraid so I just stayed behind the car. Right. So he was afraid that he was cowardice. Wow. Meanwhile, he was making the right choice. His right. partner was shot, exposed. He was not exposed. He needed backup to come in. But that guilt stopped him from being able to identify. And then he got, did identify after that the mm-hmm. person's, you know, approximate height and weight. They were they weren't really close, so we don't know, but what, what race the person was, the direction of travel, the color of the car, sure, and so on and so forth. But that uh, that surprised me. And and he was afterwards, too. We stopped the recording after it was all over. I let him stay in the room, and I stayed with him. I didn't say anything. I got him a glass of water. He was upset. Yeah. And after it, was, after it was all over, I told him, I said, you did what you needed to survive. There's nothing you could do to make him survive. Yeah. Uh, you know? I mean, totally, totally understandable. I mean, we, nobody knows until you're in that situation on your own how you're going to react. You know, like to think you'd be a certain way or do a certain thing. But you, you don't know. You don't know. I can totally see how somebody would feel that way. One hundred percent. People don't realize the whole thing, especially since they don't realize the handgun is a very ineffective weapon. Oh even yeah. If you're an expert, you know. Yeah. No, this is true. This is true. I, I, I had to. Can I do a quick segue here? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity to go and teach executive protection to a bunch of people in Poland that were former police officers. Because when you're a major case squad, they cross train you with Secret Service so that we help you protection details. Sure. And and they they were funny. They had the whole Russian mentality: bigger gun, come there, you know, knock down doors, and you know. And and so I what I did is I had them run around where their, their range was, which it was a World War II firing range, and no American had been there in years, so it was cool. And uh, run back and forth and hit a tackle dummy two or three times and then go point a gun downhill. And from seven feet away, I had them shoot rapidly. They'd hit two out of six. They were using revolvers at two out of six. I said, so that's the reason why, as you're hyper, you need to take the principal, okay, evacuate them, get them safe, move out of the way, save yourself, and do what you need to do. But it doesn't matter how big your weapon is. 
<laughs> Sounds like they're like a bunch of stormtroopers. Right? <laughs> well, it's a long time ago. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> this is. Uh, yeah. But the right, mentalities have changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, this, this was really great, John. It's really great to get a peek about this and 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 cover this topic that not a lot of people know about and understand that it's available. Um, I, I'm looking forward to actually seeing your presentation, Ireland, because I, I think I'm going to that one. Uh, oh, I'm trying. Cool. Yeah, I'm trying to go that one. Um, it's it's in my itinerary for next year. Um, but um, yeah, it's great. If if folks had questions or they uh, comments or anything, how do they get a hold of you? They can call me uh, at uh, on my website number. <laughs> to give it to you. It's eight 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 six nine seven three four seven eight, or they can go to my website at www.afipi.com. Perfect. Perfect. Right. John, thank you so much. This was great. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and showing, uh, sharing you know, with everybody who you are and uh, and, and what you do. So um, we're going to wrap this episode up. And uh, thank you, everyone, for, for tuning in. And we'll catch everyone next week on the next show. Thank you, Matt. You're appreciated. This was a great episode and very informative. So interesting to see how hypnosis and investigations can work together. We'd like to thank Campbell Insurance Group for sponsoring our show. And remember to tell them you listen to save $50 when you apply for insurance. Additional thanks goes to the PI Institute for Education and Crosstracks for sponsoring the show. Also, don't forget investigatorstoolbox.com. You can type in version 2.0, 25% to save $50 when you join if you have a question or a comment about the show, just email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com, of course. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And guess what? We'll be back next week with a brand new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.